What's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast. I'm excited you joined me today because we have a very, very special guest. We have Eric Holtzclaw today, and he is so cool. I can't wait till you meet him. Eric is known as the idea guy and has more than 25 years of experience in tech and marketing. Eric is a co-founding partner chief strategist at Liger Partners, where he's able to combine his three loves, business, technology, and people, and that includes you guys. So let's cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Eric, welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's going to be fun. We have tried to do this once before, but we made it here today and we finally got the tech to be on our side. I think everything is going to go well, so I'm excited to be able to get this out to everybody and share you with our audience I enjoyed so much what we talked about last time, but we get to do a round two and uh, figure out how to get all that same great stuff, which I'm sure would be possible, back out again. Yes, yeah. Or I'll just say completely different things and confuse you. It'll be a lot of fun, right? <laughs> well, we could do that too. It might be fun. <laughs> um, well, let's start with this. I love starting with backstory, telling the story of how you got to the point where you're running Liger. I know you have a really cool backstory and how you got here and all the things that you did. So let's jump back to the beginning and let's talk about how this journey got started. So I am a recovering technologist. So I started my career very early in technology. I was programming computers back when that was really a geeky thing to do. And when I was five, I either wanted to be president of the United States or I wanted to work for IBM because I'm from nice. Atlanta and IBM is kind of like a big thing here. So I set up my life to end up at IBM and I did at a very early age and the company wasn't. At that time, IBM was laying off a bunch of IBMers and they were giving them a lot of money and they were still very young and they were starting a bunch of startups here in Atlanta. So I ended up in a startup that had 40 people and about 30 of them were ex-IBMers and met a guy who was a serial entrepreneur. He started a Petri accounting software, which is now owned by a Sage. And uh, he and I hit it off really well. And I kind of followed him around as he went and started several ventures here in Atlanta as his kind of right-hand guy. Uh, ended up working for a couple of Silicon Valley-based companies, more in a sales role. And then 9-11 happened. I was doing a lot of traveling. And I uh, wasn't traveling after that for two or three months and decided at that point it would be good to start a business that I had written the business plan for back in 95 around a research company. So I started a company called User Insight in 2002 and that company till 2012, sold that business then, swore I'd never start another business. <laughs> uh, started doing kind of right-hand guy work again for a bunch of crazy CEOs and stumbled into taking over a lot of their marketing departments because marketing is a combination today of technology and understanding your customer. And so I did the technology thing, did all the research. We did 250 to 300 projects a year. So I knew a lot about why people bought and what they you know, cared about and how to kind of perceive their brand. 
And so I ended up with all these marketing departments and I had a long term, I have a, who she's still with me, long-term assistant who was like, you basically have six jobs. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is not a consultancy anymore. And so I merged my business with another business to form Liger in 2018. Fast forward through a pandemic, you know, supply chain issues and whatever. And here we are today in, in, in Liger land. So that's a, that is as short as I can do it. <laughs> oh my gosh. That <laughs> the time is, frame given. So yeah. I, I mean, that is, uh, uh, quite the journey wrapped up into a, a small, tight little package. Yeah, so we're going to have to unpack right. a ton of that. But but I, I'd like to start with the the part where you were saying, oh, you know, I started to work with some other people as their right hand. And, and coming from doing your own thing to doing that to going back to doing your own thing again, those are, that's quite the, um, the jump. Can we talk a little bit about the experience going through that process? Yeah, there's, so we follow a thing called EOS internally. So the entrepreneurial operating system, which is based on a book by Gina Wickman, and there's a visionary and an integrator. So the visionary is like responsible for moving the company forward, you know, doing those types of things. The integrator is responsible for implementing the visionaries plans. And so if I think about my early career, I was working for visionaries and I was putting their plans in place. And what I loved about that is I've, I've really never been employed. I mean, if you want to be perfectly honest, I'm an unemployable person, right? Like <laughs> I just stumble into things and people ask me to do them. And I really liked that because I'm a little bit of a rebel. I want to do my own thing. And these guys would be off raising money and they didn't have time to grow the business that they'd already raised money for. So I got to kind of a visionary implementer because I had to figure out how to make it work, but it was more about making sure it was a tangible result. Right. And so then I sit on the visionary side. I'm probably not as like visionary, visionary as some of the ones that come up with like, I'm going to take a, a spaceship to the moon or whatever, <laughs> but I see far enough in the future that I know what we need to do today to get to that future state. And, um, but I'm not great because you can ask my entire staff here at translating down into the detail. They're like, tell us more. Like, what'd you mean by that? Right. And so sitting in that seat, the nice thing is I'm not a crazy visionary. So I'm not going to like whipsaw the company into a lot of different directions. I want us to follow a path and try to get to it, but I am okay with taking risk. Like it's like, right. we got to take a risk because if we don't, we're going to die. Right. Right. Um, so it, it's a good question. Not a lot of people can do it. Not a lot of people can switch from being a visionary to being an integrator, whatever. I may not be the best in it, to be honest. I'm because I'm not as detailed and you really want an integrator who's detailed and very much into like building your teams and culture and all that kind of stuff. So my integrator here, she's amazing, but she's the polar opposite of me, right? Like, well, I'm off like getting stuff done, get out of my way, whatever. She's nurturing the team, making sure the operations work, making sure all those things happen. When I've been in an integrator seat, I've typically been with a visionary that maybe was a little subdued. And so they needed someone who was a little bit more confident to kind of like get their, get their vision out there. Or I was with a really like way out there visionary. And I was the one who was willing to have the tough conversation with them and say, you are killing your business. Like the fact that you continue to make them do different things, no one can focus on anything at any point. And there was no one in the company that was comfortable enough to have that con conflicted conversation. So I wouldn't, because I was offered like a full-time integrator position for a company and I didn't take it because I was like, yeah, that would be super boring, right? Like I don't, 
want to do that all day long. Right. But I had been serving as a part-time integrator and that CEO that I was working with was, he's huge visionary, like tons of ideas. And I was the one who would be willing to sit with them and say, look, dude, like we can't do all of that. Like, what do we need to do first, second and third? You're making the most like those kind of things. So I don't think I answered your question well, um, but I know I'm probably more of a visionary. I can play the second as long as I have autonomy. So I'm not, right. a good, <laughs> not a good second without autonomy. So like, if you're like going to tell me how to do that part of it, then yeah, you, you don't need me around. Like, I'm not going to do a good job with that part. So. Right. Right. I love, uh, I want to jump into something you said there. You, you said, you know, I had to be able to go in and tell them, Hey, you're killing your business. And that kind of leads us a little bit to a lot of the things that you have done and, and are doing. Uh, and I'd like to talk about the, the challenge of, telling them that and about the work that you've done to be able to figure out how to help people uh, figure that out now. So, so I owned the research company and I, my first love in the world is research. I wrote a book in 2013 about consumer behavior. And in that process, I had done a lot of research on customers and consumers, but I really wanted to understand entrepreneurs. Like why does an entrepreneur do what they do? And so I have been told I needed to start standing on stages and being on podcasts and doing all these things. And I'm really more of an introvert. This is not necessarily my first love. Like I'm okay <laughs> to run a business, whatever. And I was told, well, if your companies and you are going to be successful, you need to get out there and talk about your ideas and what you do and who you are. And so for a safe way to start in that category, I started podcasting in 2010, nice, 13 years ago. And I did it as only audio and I wanted to interview entrepreneurs and understand why they started their business and you know, what they ran into. So like, what were the roadblocks? Was it that they didn't have enough money that they didn't get support? Like why were their businesses either successful or failures? And I ended up then I had a radio show for about two years and I interviewed an entrepreneur every day for about an hour, build your best business. And it was, basically their story. Like, how did you start? Where'd you go? And what I learned in that process is it didn't have anything to do with the fact that the entrepreneur, like, uh, didn't have enough money or any of those types of things. The, the difference was entrepreneurs that were successful to, they fall into two categories. They're either rectify entrepreneurs. So they're entrepreneurs who are rectifying something from their past. So someone told them that they would never be good enough, that they couldn't do it, that they, whatever. And they, they decided instead to like, screw you, I'll show you, right? Like they're, <laughs> they're, they're the survivors, right? They never became a victim of that. And then there's a small category of those that are what I call magnify entrepreneurs. The magnifiers are entrepreneurs that um, had really good, they had like a great background, like somebody believed in them in such a way that they thought they were Superman. And a good example of that is Steve Jobs. And you'd think that Steve Jobs would be a rectify because Steve Jobs was adopted. And that typically is an indication of someone who's going to be a rectify entrepreneur. But what happened is he was like nine years old and he came home and he told his parents, he said, mom and dad, I was, I was adopted. Someone didn't want me. And his mom or dad said to him, Oh no, no, Steve, you don't understand. We chose you. And so he lived the rest of his life as the chosen one. Like he did whatever he wanted to do. He thought he was super special, like the whole thing. And so that, and those magnify entrepreneurs typically manifest larger businesses. They're not held back by this, like, well, I am going to eventually fail because somebody in the back of my head told me that. And your rectifies, you have to be really careful with because they almost have this self-fulfilling destruction 
that kind of plays in the background and they'll do things it's like that's why you see most of the time like 80 percent of entrepreneurs are rectifies and so they've got like just crazy personal lives or they're doing things that you wouldn't expect and it's they're they're running from something right. so so anyway so that that's what i learned from all of those interviews and and i also learned people who couldn't be entrepreneurs there's a, a group of people who had really great childhoods everything worked really well they want to be an entrepreneur but they're just life is too safe like they've they've had a safety net and and those people that's absolutely fine like don't go do it if you're not ready to grind it and you're not ready to own it and live in it and suffer it it's not the best lifestyle like everybody you know they like set us up as rock stars and it's a terrible it can be a terrible thing right you're staying up <laughs> at night how am i gonna make payroll are we gonna sign that deal like whatever so those that aren't necessarily cut out to be an entrepreneur, don't sweat it. It's okay. And my last little point on this is that, you know, we've just, we've made entrepreneurs rock stars. Like they're the rock star of today. So every kid wants to grow up and be one. Like people wanted to grow up and be a movie star. I guess now they want to be YouTube stars or TikTok stars or whatever. There is a price to be paid. Right. And it isn't for everyone. And that's an okay thing. It's a completely acceptable, okay thing. Yeah, totally. I love that. You know, you have told us about your journey here. You've told us about the fact that you love the research side of it. And you've told us about how you've helped these entrepreneurs as a right hand. But also, I want to dig in now to how you took that research and how you took those skill sets and started to turn it into Liger and, and start to talk a little bit about what Liger does, because that's, <laughs> I mean, having that journey and that path to get there is so cool. And I want to know more about how that all conspired. Yeah. So Liger, the reason the company's named Liger is we took a strategy company, which was my company and we merged it with an execution company. So we do both strategy and execution for companies. We typically work, we do a lot in B2B. We do a lot with M and A. So it's a merger and acquisition where they're buying other companies and they need someone in the room who is comfortable and confident enough to tell people that maybe their idea is not the best idea. Right. <laughs> Um, and Liger, I mean, it's a strong animal. It is one of the strongest. When you see a Liger, you think it just looks like it's overweight and out of shape, but that's not true. It's all muscle, right? And so, and we do hearken back to the Napoleon Dynamite reference. You know, it's his favorite, it's his favorite animal. So we use that to give it a little bit of a fun to it. Right. But Liger is meant to be a large and in charge brand. Like we know what we're doing. We are very confident about the suggestions we're making to our clients. We will tell them why they should follow our advice. We're doing the best thing for them. Kind of like that, uh, that, uh, fitness coach. That's like, you really need to follow my advice. Like if you don't follow my advice, it's not going to work. Right. Um, right. and, and our clients appreciate that. Like they want someone they'll fight, they will fire an agency who they were working with before because that agency was wishy-washy. Like it's like, well, what would you do? And whatever we, we have an opinion, you know, like we want to talk through what it is, what it looks like. And that's what you should look for. Right. Like, I mean, I don't want to go to a financial advisor who asks me how to invest my money. Like I'm there because you're the expert. I don't want to go to a doctor who's like, well, do you think we should have surgery or not? I'm like, <laughs> do you think we should have surgery or not? Right. Right. So the company manifests my abundance and confidence. <laughs> <laughs> and part of it is that I've seen a lot of things. Like I've seen a lot of things work and if a lot of things not work and it's really never about the index. 
in the industry or the context, it's more about the problem that's being solved. So what is the problem we're solving? And it could be the same problem through industries, but you need to approach it similarly across those industries. So it's less about industry knowledge and more about what are we trying to do? Like, what are we trying to, to fix or make better? And what kind of techniques and processes will work in that given the clients that we're going after and the messaging and the tactics that they need to see? So, wow. yeah, it's yeah. probably like, you know, it's probably some disease I have of like just overconfidence. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure. That's what we'll do. Right. But with reason and with research, you can then learn whether or not that that's the right way to approach it. So I don't, I go with gut, but then I, I'm always looking for like, are we seeing what we expect from that? And if not, how are we going to confirm it and come back to it and, and potentially tweak it? Talk to me a little bit more about the companies that you work with and, and what they have in common so that some of our listeners can hear and say, yeah, you know what, that sounds like something that might be great for me. Yeah. So we, we sort of accidentally fell into B2B. So we do a lot of business to business. So a business selling to another business and those businesses are, our mission statement is saving the world from boring, broken marketing and B2B <laughs> marketing is either boring typically or broken or both. And it doesn't right. have to be, and it shouldn't because just because I'm doing a B2B purchase is a relational purchase. So it takes time. It's a very, um, potentially dangerous because I'm going to spend a lot of money and have to work with a vendor for a long time, those types of things. And so we're working towards, you know, making those brands known, like our, our big message this year is be known. So we like the second or third player, like the underdog, right? And how can right. we move them up? We love companies that are in the middle of messy transition. So like if they're buying other companies, they're trying to, and many, that's why we don't call ourselves an agency. We call ourselves a marketing firm because a marketing agency wants you to give them a brief and they give you back a nice, you know, pretty presentation and whatever. We, we roll up our sleeves and get dirty with our clients and we become part of their team. You know, we're doing more of a staff AUG model for them. We want them to see us as their confidant. So if they need to figure out how to do this next thing, go into this next place, they're reaching out to us to solve those problems for them in a more meaningful way. Uh, I don't just want to be a partner. I want to be part of their team at the end of the day. So yeah, right. we do some B2C too, typically when it's relational, like it's a very dangerous decision. So like, let's say you're going to go have a medical procedure. You want a lot of information about that. It's not going to be a transactional sale, right? We do very little. It's like selling a t-shirt or a you know, fizzy water or something. Sure. Well, building something like this uh, clearly was a work in progress and and getting to that point but what do you find are some of the challenges of working with these size companies and and dealing with the uh the variables like what what have you experienced so far in in doing all of this through the years yeah so the biggest problem the number one problem is perfection over progress oh yeah i mean and and marketing in particular and like doing some of this stuff is about experimentation, trying a thing, seeing if it worked or not, being able to pivot quickly if it doesn't. And it will not be perfect. It's better to get something out there and see if it's going to work, see if the messaging works than to wait forever for perfection. And right. if you're doing perfection, you typically can't get enough content, enough stuff out there to really make a, an impact. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's the thing that bothers me every day is like, we're waiting to do like the perfect way or the perfect strategy. And we should just like start getting some stuff out there. And right. we're, 
you're not going to like your first video. You're not going to like your first post. You're not going to like your first act. Like you're not, it's just not, you're going to look back and be like, Oh, like I, we just rebranded Liger this year and I'm pitching some work that we did in just last year. And I'm going back through the old decks and I'm like, Oh, that's what our brand looked like last year. That's terrible. <laughs> right. And so, but I loved it last year. Like I presented it I sold business off of it. Right. So, right. you know, getting, getting out there, trying some things, taking a little bit of risk, B2B companies are typically risk adverse. Um, they may be run by people who are more financially oriented and they see marketing as a financial, like you do a P and L every month and a balance sheet and marketing's changing dramatically. Like right. specifically as we look at AI and what that kind of impact is going to have on the way people do marketing and who is the new master we're serving. Is it Google now or is it chat GPT? Right. And so like, right. how are we building content such that we're, preparing for the next wave of how people find us versus how they do it today. Right. I, I think that brings up an interesting uh, conversation I want to talk about for a second. In your experience, I mean, you're in the trenches every day. You're doing this. Your your company is helping other companies do this. What do you feel like is the, is the new um, thing to be focusing on for marketing? Do you feel like it is AI or do you feel like it's just... Uh, something else that you've identified. Yeah, it's definitely not like, you know, there's all the conversation about the metaverse and it's kind of like, like, eh, you know, like that seems like a very narrow market. And unless it becomes like an immersive room, like I could see some of those things. I mean, I see technology as an enabler. I want to go to Niagara Falls. I don't want to go into a room that simulates being in Niagara Falls. Right. So like some of right. that stuff uh, just doesn't, I don't see it that way. I think there's some applications for like training and, you know, is it would be hard for you to immerse someone in and then like really escapism. I just don't, I don't know. So I'm not as high on that. Um, but with AI, I'm like blown away. It's the, in my opinion, cause I've seen both the dot com, you know, kind of the social and smartphone era. I think the pandemic was impactful. It changed buying behaviors dramatically because anytime anyone does anything for more than 40 days, it becomes like, it becomes their habit, right? So now we had to order food and things like that over a 40, now we do it all the time. And it was, and everybody knows what a QR code is. Um, so as quickly as it's being adopted, I realize it's very early, but the things it can do and the impact to jobs and speed is amazing. Like things that would, would take us two or three weeks to do here can take us an hour to do, like literally. And I'm like getting a piece of content all the way through the flow, getting the initial write up, getting it over, like all those kind of things. So much easier. The research components of understanding where maybe a company lives within a certain ecosystem and what they do. I just, it's, it's I'm very, very up on that. I think there's a lot that's going to be disrupted around that. Um, and it disrupts white collar workers more, which has typically not been the case. You know, right. like if you think about what the internet did, it got rid of printed books and DVDs and like things that were being manufactured. This gets rid of a, a category of sort of not the most exciting work that uh, might have had to been done by kind of a white collar worker before. And those people need to know how to move from a creation mindset to a curation mindset. So how do you go from cure creating it to being smart enough and understanding if it's right or not to curate it? Right. I love that. Talk to us a little bit about uh, what it would be like 
and what the process looks like. Say one of our listeners is saying, yeah, you know what, I, I want to go work with Liger and, and, and go through the process. What does that look like? What's the experience like? Give, kind of walk us through it. So we, um, when we bring in someone, we always do a discovery process that's very much a business discovery process. So we have an, it looks like an M&A document. So we send them this list of everything we want to know about them. Right. And we want them to tell us as much as possible because we don't build marketing just for the sake of marketing. We want to understand where the business is and where it wants to be in the next two years and build the marketing strategy and tactics on top of that. And so the first thing for us to understand is like, what are macro and micro trends impacting your business? Who are you going after? What's your ideal client? Ideal, like who do you love it when they come across your doorstep? Not everybody, just those ideal clients because that's who we want to attract. Uh, what are, what's a raw analysis, which is where are you today? Where would you be in two years? And then we have some sets of exercises and activities that we take the company through after we go through that discovery workshop, which is about a five to six hour session, we have really everything we need to, to come back and make a recommendation of if it were us and our money, this is what we would do. So we give them you know, two to four approaches and they're all very distinct on purpose because marketing is about choice. It's like you need to choose this or this or this and you know what the caveats or strengths, if one's more expensive than the other potentially. And then once they pick that, we can be there to quarterback for an existing team that they have it or we can do kind of almost a staff aug model and help deliver some of those um, tactics on the back end. So, and then our intent is to be there for the long run and make sure that the things that we've suggested actually get implemented and that they're successful for that business. That's amazing. I love it. So if they are interested in going and, and starting to dig in that process, where do they find you? How do they get to you? So a couple ways, LinkedIn, and I just announced, just put out a newsletter this week uh, called Digitally Inclined. And so it's about kind of the emergence of technology and AI and marketing and all these kind of things together. So I'm doing that on a weekly basis and it's like things we're seeing, tools that would be useful that apply into your business. So I would encourage, that's a, a really great, and that's a, it's a LinkedIn-based newsletter for people to go and look at. So I'm on there a lot, spend a lot of time there. A little bit of Twitter, not as much. And of course, you can go to our website, ligerpartners.com. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, landing pages and things. We just put out a playbook, the B2B marketing playbook that you can download that talks you through right. like the process of what happens and uh, building some things specifically in the fintech insurance and sort of manufacturing categories where we do a, do a lot of work. So yeah. Great. That's awesome. Well, guys, uh, we could probably sit here and jam out on all of these topics for hours. But, Eric, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Pleasure. I'm glad we got to do it. I'm glad we hooked up again. We had some tech issues the first time. But I'm so glad you're here, and I'm so glad to be able to uh, share your knowledge and expertise with the audience. Any last words for our guests? Do it. I know that's the Nike thing. And if you haven't go see the air movie like the new one that's amazing but just get out there like it's it's no more dangerous to go and try a thing and have failed than to have not tried at all like you might as well just go do it nice i love it all right guys we'll see you guys at the next episode of business choreography podcast we'll see you then take care thanks for joining us today Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing, operations, and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.